Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, so thank you very, very much for listening. I appreciate all of you. On the agenda this evening, what do we got? <clears throat> UFC on ESPN Plus 80 took place last night, so we'll have a review of that. Um, the biggest combat sports event of the entire week, however, was in the area of boxing with Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. So we'll kind of give some thoughts on that, a little bit of Bellator. Uh, you know, just some, mostly one thing for Bellator, uh, rather than a lot, but we'll talk a little about that. Uh, then the preview, next week UFC on ESPN plus 81, that'll be a thing. And... Pretty quiet news week in a lot of respects. I mean, I'm not gonna. There's some just. There's some stuff I'm just not gonna talk about because I don't think it merits a tremendous amount of attention. But there were a fair number of fights announced, so we'll give some of those a look. Right, that's what's on the agenda this evening. So, anything you can do to help the product, please do. Like, comment, subscribe, if that's applicable. Star rating, written review, whatever works for your podcast platform of choice. Always appreciated. Uh, yeah, that's it for the boilerplate. So let's get into this, shall we? UFC on ESPN Plus 80. In your main event, <clears throat> Sergey Pavlovich defeats Curtis Blades via TKO. Punches 308 of the first round. Blades, uh, I don't know. Going to try not to be too hard on him here. So let's talk for just a minute about Sergei Pavlovich. The man hits very, very hard. <laughs> He's got a pretty good chin. Um, he ate... Blades hit him first and hit him pretty cleanly a handful of times, but anytime Blades would land, Pavlovich would just kind of keep coming forward, look to re-engage. Some of the stuff you want to see out of a fighter like that, but his you know, Pavlovich's defense was just... It wasn't good. His pressure and his power punching just kind of started to rattle Curtis Blades a little bit as the fight wore on. Finally started hitting him cleanly, landed a really nice uppercut, couple of more punches, finally dropped him, fine stoppage. There's a lot of people who came out afterwards and were like, oh, this is the guy to beat John Jones. Okay. I'm not saying Pavlovich is incapable of beating John Jones. There's two things that we need to talk about here for just a second. John's probably not going to be around all that much longer. He's looking for big fights that help his legacy and get him paid. At the moment, that's Stipe Miocic. Out, then that's kind of it. So, without Nganu there, and, and pretty much just without Nganu there, like, Miocic is kind of the last thing worth conquering. Here's the other thing about this fight. John's defense much better than Curtis Blades. The reach is interesting because Pavlovich technically has a higher ape index than John because he's a little bit shorter but has longer arms. John has the overall reach advantage, but Pavlovich has some long arms. Um... We still don't know how Pavlovich does on the ground. Curtis Blades shot one takedown attempt in this fight. 
it was after he was hurt and it was very reactive and Pavlovich was very ready for it. Credit to Pavlovich. But we haven't seen a lot of Pavlovich in the clinch. And off of his back, that's where Alistair Overeem beat him. Again, I'm not here knocking on Pavlovich. I'm saying he's on a good streak. He's won six in a row now, and they're all first-round finishes, all via strikes. He's no one to be trifled with, clearly. But if your game plan is I'm going to hit John Jones in the face really hard and get him out of there, I don't think that's a very viable game plan. John's very hard to hit in general, and he's harder to actually hurt. I've watched that man's entire UFC career. I don't think I've ever seen him legitimately hurt by a punch. And he's been hit by some guys who can thump. So if they were to fight, I would favor John, and I wouldn't have to think that hard about it. Again, doesn't mean Pavlovich is incapable of winning, but his striking, it's powerful, but man, his defense is just not there. And his offense, it doesn't look very good. Again, it works, but watch some of the exchanges here and kind of break them down technically, and what he's doing is not very good. He gets away with it via power and the fact that it's heavyweight. So, that said, lest it come across like I'm again, just dumping on the guy, he got the win here. I, I picked Blades. I Not by much, but I did lean towards Blades. Pavlovich was able to get around him. Um, I feel bad for Curtis Blades, man. This is a guy with a lot of tools. A lot of very obvious tools, but his decision-making kind of hampers him. He was beating Derek Lewis pretty solidly in their fight by striking with him. Then he went for a takedown, and because that's the one thing Lewis was really prepared for, he ate an uppercut on the way in. Uh, I mean, this is only, like, Blades has only lost to three people, ever. Francis Ngannou twice, Derek Lewis, and now Pavlovich. Blades is really good, but he probably should have got a title shot coming off of that win over Alexander Volkov, but because of the method in which he won, the UFC's not, wasn't very keen to reward him when they had other options. And that sucks. There's not really another other way to put that, that just sucks. Pavlovich should get some kind of title fight next. Uh, whether that's a fight with John, whether John's even remotely interested in that, uh, interested enough to stick around for it, or if it's an interim title fight while we sort out John and Stipe, or something to that effect, who knows. But the man's lost once in his entire career, his UFC debut, when he stepped up to fight Alistair Overeem. Uh is he the best technically? No, but it's heavyweight. You don't have to be. Uh, he's due a title fight of some variety next. And I, that's that's my story as far as he goes. Um, again, for Blades, it sucks. Uh, but he's had these stumbling blocks at some really crucial moments. I mean, I get not wanting to come out here and just shoot blindly right off the bat. I do. But he seemed a little bit 
overcommitted to the striking, and I mean game planning, I don't mean his body weight being overcommitted on his punches. Um, I think it would have served him better to try to wrestle sooner than he did. Uh, he Pavlovich was coming forward a lot. That usually helps you. You can, if they're coming forward, your timing on your double leg gets a little bit easier, and it's a little bit easier to finish. And he only, again, he only tried one when he was hurt, and that was easily defended. I don't know if, um, if maybe Blades' body might be having some issues with wrestling consistently. I mean, you notice this with uh, Daniel Cormier as his career wore on. You know, he, it's not that he stopped wrestling as his career wore on. He was a lot more judicious about it because it's very hard on the body. And, you know, he was 40. And just, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. I'm When I'm winning on the feet, sure, why not? Uh, so I, I wonder if Blades might, and that's not just Daniel Cormier, like I'm taking a shot at him. A lot of guys who come into the UFC wrestle heavy. If they have the longevity, they kind of get away from it as time goes on because it's so hard. I mean, you know, look at Clay Guida, his last fight. You know, I don't know that he shot a meaningful takedown on Rafa Garcia. So, I mean, and this is especially true of bigger guys. Like, you're just moving around more mass. It's more demanding. Uh, unfortunately for Blades, Pavlovich was just the wrong guy to try and experiment more with his striking on. So, uh, that was your main event. It ended pretty quickly. We had a string of first-round finishes here with this event. It actually got its start time pushed back after we lost a fight. Um, the fight between Priscilla Cachuea and Karini Silva was canceled after Cachuea weighed 130 pounds for a flyweight fight. So, you know, good job. Um, they should cut Kashwaya. Like, not only has she been somewhat notoriously dirty, I mean, look at what she tried to do to Jillian Robertson, like, just blatantly eye-gouging to try and get out of a rear naked choke. If you can't be relied on to make weight either, just, what are we doing here? That's a roster spot that could go to somebody else. But we won't be talking about that fight, but this whole thing ended relatively quick. This whole event ended relatively quick. It started at 2.30 my time. It was done before 8. Right around 8. A little bit before, actually, yeah. <clears throat> so, that was your main event. Uh, Co-main event, Bruno Silva defeated Brad Tavares via TKO knee and punches, 3.35 for the first. Um, Tavares wasn't thrilled with this stoppage. Neither was I. I can live with it, but not... I wouldn't have hated this going a little bit longer either. Uh, both men have degrees of success. Part of the problem with Brad Tavares at this point... He just doesn't... How do I say this? When things go sideways for him, it takes him a while to recollect himself. And once Silva landed a couple of good punches that got him a little bit out of sorts, Silva didn't give him the time to recompose. And, again, you could argue it was a little bit early on the stoppage. I'm sympathetic to the argument. I don't think it was a bad... Let me be clear. Not a bad stoppage. I don't think it was bad. So, Silva badly needed this win, man. 
Uh, he really needed this. And Tavares, I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. He's 35. That's at middleweight, so, you know, it's not the end of the world to be a little bit older. But he's also closing in on 30 fights. And he's been with the UFC for a long time. Yeah, since 2010. So you got 13 years in the UFC. A lot of those fights go in the distance. Uh, I, I'm not saying he's going to retire tomorrow or anything, but I think in the grand scheme of things, you know. Dude's 35. And almost 30 fights. And 13 years in the UFC. Almost 13 years. It'll be 13 years in June. They... That's usually about the time when things start breaking down, just kind of as a general rule. So and we, we might get a few more years out of him, but I think he's probably hit his ceiling too. So it was a decent enough little fight. Now, unfortunate in our next fight, Bobby Green and Jared Gordon went to a no contest. Uh, there was a clash of heads that dropped Gordon and then Green got on top and pounded him out and the ref didn't see the headbutt. Now, I'm not... It was, um, I think it was Keith Peterson. I'm actually not going to bag on him too much for this. Um, which might sound weird, like you're making excuses for the guy who missed a headbutt. Well, one, accidental. I don't think Bobby Green was throwing a headbutt. But if you look at where Peterson was, they were opposite stances. So Green's orthodox, Gordon, southpaw. If Keith Peterson was on the open side of this, if he was looking at their the front of their bodies, because they're in open stance, opposite stance, he would have seen it. But he was on the other side. And that's just where he wound up being positioned. I don't think that's... A, look, there's no... I don't think there's a general consensus about whether or not... In the opposite, when you're watch, when you're refing opposite stance fighters, if you want to be on the back or the front, I don't think there's a consensus there. I mean, I know I might where I might try to be, but you also have to be mindful of which direction everyone's moving, so you can be involved in that. When I say involved, like the referee needs to be, it's weird because you need to be watching, you need to be physically engaged, but you also need to be close enough to see detail, but far enough away not to impede the action. And it's a weird little dance you have to pull off. So I'm not going to knock the guy for being where he was. He was not out of position in like he was across the cage and not really watching. No, he saw Gordon go down. He was right there when that happened. Because of where he was, he couldn't tell what, he couldn't tell if it was an elbow that landed because that's kind of what Green was throwing was a left, like, upward elbow as he came, as he collapsed into the pocket. But when you do that, you know, especially opposite stances, your head's coming with it. Because you want, like, you don't just swing your elbow with your deltoid. You put your weight behind it. This is how you throw elbows and have them mean something. Your mass determines some of the force there. Most of it, actually. Because I'm, I feel fairly confident you're not. What does that mean? You do kind of an upward elbow. Yeah, it's just kind of a, like, mo like kind of an overhead press motion, sort of. Because when you, 
you, know, you extend when you do the overhead press, but you kind of, you know, get it up into position that it still looks like the front delt. Like the front head, because your deltoid has three different muscle groups, three different heads. You have the front, middle, and rear. Overhead press usually does more of the front. Uh, Arnold presses hit both. Arnold, plus, Arnold presses technically hit all three, but side raises hit the middle delt and then face pulls for the rear delt, if you care about different exercises for the different parts of your deltoid muscle group. But the point is, like, you're not... You're not getting the same force you have with that that you do even just leaning your upper body into it. Like it, Again, mass has to be involved here, so your weight goes forward with the elbow strike. And unfortunately, Bobby Green's head ran into Jared Gordon's, and Gordon got hurt and dropped. He got on top, and he knocked him out with punches. And Gordon recovered after that, but he was mad after the fact because he knew what happened. Commentary... Kind of saw what happened. Uh, Dominic Cruz saw it, and he said, I think they clashed heads. And Paul Felder... <sighs> Look, commentary is a hard job. Generally speaking, Paul Felder is a very good commentator. He's a very good color guy. Or analyst. Again, depending on where he is in the booth structure. He's very, He's generally very good at that job. The unfortunate... There's an unfortunate downside to this, especially as they the UFC likes putting more and more fighters into that role. These people have relationships with some of the people in the cage. Felder and Gordon used to train together. They're actually pretty good friends. So, Gordon goes down, and Felder, did, like he says, like, I, I couldn't quite see what happened. Dominic Cruz says, I think they clashed heads, and Felder loses his mind. Um, he gets very upset about this. Now, and it's just, it's not the best look when your commentary team has kind of a rooting interest and then displays their emotional connection to one of the parties like this. Um... He got himself under control after a little bit, and I mean, he was. So I'm, I'm not knocking the guy. Like, you see your good friend get fouled and then knocked out. Like, I, I understand on an emotional level. I really do. But, dude, just mute your. Just they have a. They usually have a thing there, like a cough button or something similar. Like, dude, if you're gonna have one of those moments. Cut your feed from the broadcast. Or I think the I think at one point the again the production team did for him. But like it's just, it's not the best look. Now because we're in the, most of the rules at this point have kind of been hashed out across the different athletic commissions. The one that's still kind of in dispute a little bit is instant replay and how it should be used and what's going on with it. We were in Nevada for this, we're at the Apex. So there's a referee outside in this case, it was Chris Tognoni, who is double-checking this kind of stuff to look for fouls. He says, he looks at it and, okay, they banged heads. I have to tell the in-cage referee what happened. So, Tognoni and Peterson and uh, I think one of the other commission officials got together and, like, here's what happened. You know, the... What do you, you know, what are we going to do? And they ultimately decided a no contest was the correct solution. 
<sighs> which is really unfortunate. I don't think it's the wrong call, just for the record. I don't think it's the wrong call. It sucks for Bobby Green, who was um, pretty vocal about it. Like Both Green and Gordon were not mad at each other. They were just really upset at the situation. And that's understandable. I mean, this is their job, and Green's check got cut in half. In theory. Like that's... It's probably about time for the UFC to uh, to move beyond the show and win bonus structure for their pay scale, but they won't. So, really unfortunate. It was a pretty good little fight, actually, before the foul. Um, there was another fight that had a similar thing happen that... Um, it was the other Dawkus. Was it uh, Kyle Dawkus? Who was he fighting... So middleweight might have been um, before he moved down. Was it Kevin Holland? Let me double check real fast. Yeah, it was Kevin Holland. Um, they accidentally banged heads, and the the resulting damage to Holland allowed Dawkins to get him down, get his back, and choke him out. So similar thing here. Uh, this has to also be another. This just be another thing that just really sucks for Chris Curtis. Um, for those of you who may not remember, when Chris Curtis fought Kelvin Gastelum, they banged heads in the second round, and it dropped uh, Curtis. I, I talked about this when it happened. Uh, there needs to be. I don't know what. I don't know what the solution is here. I got to think about this. But there needs to be some kind of better mechanism for dealing with these kinds of fouls. Like, and I don't know what it would be. I really don't. Because you don't, you don't really want, like, the refs throwing flags like this is football. But maybe specifically for headbutts that lead to serious actions like, uh, ramifications like this. Having your outside official have a button that he could hit to light up a light that the in-cage ref can see, like, you know, ants, time out, dude got headbutted. I don't know. I mean, I've said for a while that I think, I mean, I haven't said it for a while. I've had it in my head. I've said it a few different times. It's okay for boxing to have throw in the towel, literally be the method by which a corner stops a fight mid-round. MMA needs something better because they don't let... Boxing actually doesn't have the biggest problem with a cornerman if you're stopping the fight, getting up on, like, the ring apron and getting the ref's attention, like, stop it. They don't let you do that in MMA. They actually don't let the coaches get up on that uh, kind of skirt around the octagon. The camera That's what the ring girls walk around. The cameramen are all over that thing. Like, they don't actually let you get up there to throw on the towel. So you can't further get the referee's attention. I kind of think fighters' corners should have, like... you. Put a case over so you don't hit it accidentally, but put a button or a switch or something that turns on a light in that corner that says we're stopping it. It's something that'll get attention, but like, no, we're done. Because there's a couple of different times that fighters' corners have mentioned, like, we wanted to stop it and they wouldn't let us, <clears throat> for whatever reason, um, you know, get up there and stop it. So another thing where we just need a better system in place. 
and we need something better for headbutts. Because I tend to think if the judges knew, I said this, like, if you think that what drops Chris Curtis is a legitimate blow, then then Kelvin Gastelum winning that round is the correct call. If you know it's a headbutt, and you discount that knockdown, Chris Curtis wins the second round and wins the fight. Um, so it's, there's just, we need to figure some of this stuff out better. And I, again, I, some of this I need to think about, but I, this is me saying out loud, we kind of collectively got to put our heads together here, people. Uh, even if you're just a guy on Twitter, you know, if you have the ability to message someone who has a bigger voice than you and you have a decent idea, again, don't go in there with crappy ideas, but. If you can get your idea to a bigger voice, not the worst thing in the world. I mean, the entire review official thing that exists in Nevada was partially inspired by Luke Thomas, the MMA commenter, personality, media member, uh, saying, you know, maybe we should have something like this. And Nevada deciding, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. So... I gotta again. I gotta try and come up with a better idea than what I have at the moment. But yeah, this this is unfortunate. They'll probably rebook it, and fair enough. Uh, let's see. Women's flyweight Yasmin Lucindo defeated Brogan Walker via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Nothing really to say here. Lucindo just better, pretty much everywhere. Uh, welterweight Jeremiah Wells defeated Matthew Semmelsberger via split decision. There was a 29-28 for Semmelsberger. And then two 30-27s for Wells. I got a problem with 30-27 for Wells. I don't have a problem with Wells winning rounds two and three. I think I gave Semmelsberger one and two. Um, but round two in particular, very, very real argument for Wells in that round. So I don't object to him winning. I don't see how Wells won the first. He got dropped badly at least, I think, twice. And he... Wells recovered, got a takedown, and a lot of top control, but he Wells never did anything nearly as damaging as what Semmelsberger did. And this got mentioned, I think I saw Kaposa mention it. If... If Because Semmel, Semmelsberger rounds one and two comes out and does damage to Wells. He drops him in both rounds. If what Semmelsberger does happens at the end of the round instead of the beginning, he probably wins those first two rounds and wins the fight. But because unconsciously judges weigh stuff that happens at the end of the round more heavily than the stuff that happens at the beginning of it, you get weirdness like this. Now again, not knocking Wells. He recovered from some bad spots. He fought well. Um, and in fact, Semmelsberger's got a real problem. Um, he hits very hard, uh, but he does nothing off of his back. Uh, you've got to have a more comprehensive system in place from your back than close guard, wait to get stood up, or uh, do a little bit of Z guard, knee shielding, to kick them off straight away and then stand up and try to stand up before they tackle you back down. You've got to have more stuff at your disposal than that. Your, his wall walking was anemic. 
this is stuff that if you're in the UFC, you really need to have sorted out, and he really needs to get that sorted out. So that was your main card. Prelims, Christos Yagos knocked out Rick Glenn with a punch. Uh, 135 of the first. Really nice finish from Yagos. Uh, he just kept his stance better. When Glenn, Glenn tends to square up a little bit as he starts punching in combination. And Yagos able to smoke him with a left. Um, really nice one. Bantamweight Montel Jackson defeated Ronnie Yaya via knockout. Punches 342 of the second. I like Ronnie Yaya, but he's probably past it at this point. Um, really nice counter from Jackson. He fades back just a little bit as Yaya overcommits their opposite stances again. If your opposite stance, it frequently happens that you get out over your skis, so to speak, when you try to close distance with punches. The downside to doing that is the other guy can kind of slip back just a little bit so you fall short and then counter you with uh, the power hand, which is exactly what happened here from Jackson. Uh, women's featherweight, Norma Dumont defeated Carol Hosa via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Um... Hosa just started fighting too late. Like, what she did in the third was pretty good work, and she just didn't start doing it until the third round. Uh, but Dumont gets a win. Fun statistic here for everybody. Norma Dumont and Chris Cyborg are tied for the most wins in UFC women's featherweight history. How crazy is it that the champion of that division... And who has been champion of that division for a long time does not have that particular record. Uh, heavyweight Muhammad Usman defeated Junior Tafa via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Not a lot here. Um, Usman's striking. He's got power, but his defense is weak, and boy, does he... He's a little chinny. I mean, it's heavyweight. He survived this by getting hurt and then getting takedowns and Junior Taffa just not knowing, not having much of a get-up game. Um, I think actually, I might have scored this for Taffa, actually. Just thinking about damage. Uh, not a great fight, low-level heavyweights. Catchweight, because William Gomez missed weight, but he defeats Francis Marshall via split decision, 29-28. Um... Second round is your swing round here. Gomez clearly wins the first. Marshall clearly takes the third with a late rally. Uh, again, middle round could go either way. 29-28 for either man is perfectly understandable. Kicking everything off, Brady Heastan defeated uh, Dana Batkari, whose first name is Batkari, but uh, Mongolian's so weird. Because they don't have, I talked about this a little bit before, they don't actually have family names the way that, like, either Western or further Eastern civil uh, cultures do. Like, my name's Robert Winfrey. Given name Robert, family name Winfrey. Father's family name. I know my mother's family name too, but... Um, for a long time in Mongolia, and there's other, like, parts of... Because I think they had a similar thing kind of in, in like, towards Tibet. Um, where they would only have one name. Like, you were born, you were X. And that's you. And so now they tend, uh, Mongolians have tended to take their father's given name and put it at the end of theirs as a way of, like, doubling, you know, getting the two-name structure. So his given name is Bakri and his uh, patronic is Dana. Anyway, 
they might still, which might still be listed the other way, because Mongolians, um, they might be choosing to list them, because I've talked about this, like, um, Japan, I know, and I think, I think South, I think Korea, um, they list family name first, and then given name second, so, again, hypothetically, in the, in the Japanese naming convention, I would be Winfrey Robert, rather than Robert Winfrey, <clears throat> so, Anyway, uh, Heastend wins via, again, TKO, 421 to the third. Fun little fight. Um, I had Dana winning the first two rounds, and then he kind of just gets gets a little bit tired in the end. I mean, he beat up Brady. He's, there was a weird score. I think one of the judges gave Dana a 10-8 second, which is weird. Like, he won that round, but he also had his back taken for a long period of time. Like, I don't think he did enough to warrant a 10-8. But a really nice finishing position from Heastand, actually. Gets a takedown near the wall. Uh, Danas starts wall walking, and Heastand goes for... Um, he moves kind of towards the ride position, but instead of... Um, instead of going from a more traditional, like, referee's position ride, which is... So hypothetically, like, if you're on all fours and I'm in the referee's position, my right leg is kind of between your legs and I go to kind of great and I go to inside hook your either inside hook your left leg or I outside try to grapevine your right for some control. He stand couldn't get his leg on the outside so he went inside leg lace and then just so his right leg is in front of Dana's left but then hooks back over the calf and he just staples that left leg of Dana to the mat with his weight there. It's a it's a nice little different kind of leg ride. And Dana couldn't get up, was a little bit tired. Again, I had him winning. I think he would have won the fight if it had gone the distance, but referee told him to move and defend himself, and he just kind of stopped doing that. So, again, decent little fight. Um, your bonuses. There was no fight of the night awarded. I can understand why. Performances went to Sergei Pavlovich, Bruno Silva, Christos Yagos, and Montel Jackson. Pretty much everyone who got a finish except he stand. So, uh, fully understandable. And again, the UFC, as another reminder, the UFC could easily afford to just bonus everyone who finishes a fight every card. They don't, but they could. So, my full report of that event is in the MMAZone411mania.com, so give it a read if you're so inclined. Thank you. Always appreciate it. All right, let's move on. I don't want to be here forever. So, let's, let's do Bellator real fast first. Um, just one thing to note here. Bellator ended their Bantamweight Grand Prix and ended it in style with Patchy Mix scoring a knee knockout from hell. On Ruffian Stotts, um, brutal knockout. That's one of your knockout of the year contenders right there. That was really nasty. You know, I, I joke about Bellator on occasion, but Bellator has, there's an argument to be made that Bellator has the best bantamweight in the world. I don't agree with it. I actually don't think Patchy Mix is the best bantamweight in the world. I do think he's, I think he's one of the best bantamweights in the world, and I think he'd do very, very well in the UFC. The best welterweight, not sure I agree there, but again, you could make the case. You could make the case they have the best middleweight, 
And frankly, I do think their middleweight champion would have, he would throw a big monkey wrench into a lot of middleweights at the top, including Adesanya. And maybe the best light heavyweight. Um, I'm not sure I agree with light heavyweight, but with Yuri Prochka out, like, that monkey, that muddies the waters a little bit, but there's a few different divisions when Bellat- where Bellator at the very top of their division has genuinely top-tier world-class talent, and that needs to be acknowledged. Apache Mix, top-tier world-class bantamweight. Best bantamweight in the world? I, I, You could make the argument. I don't think I'd be convinced by it. But, again, top-tier? Oh, yeah. That dude is very... His run through that tournament was incredible. He beat Kyoji Horiguchi. He beat... Um, he controlled Horiguchi. He choked out a guy a lot of us thought was going to go very far. Um, whose name... Yeah, Magomed Magomedov. He choked him out in the second round. Then knocks out Rafian Stotts in a minute and 20 seconds. Um... His only loss ever was a decision to Juan Archuleta that he seems to have learned a lot from. That dude, again, is he better than Aljamain Sterling? I'd have a hard time with that one. Not impossible time, hard time. Uh, But is he one of the very best bantamweights in the world? You better believe it. You absolutely better believe that. Alright, um... Last thing from the weekend, well, two things very briefly, because we had uh, the boxing match between Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. Um, very briefly, the co-main event for that was, um, uh, I think it was David Morrell Jr. I want to make sure I get his name right, just a sec. Yeah, David Morrell Jr., who on the co-main of the co-main event of this card, um, scored a brutal first-round knockout. Uh, he's undefeated, 9-0. and He is some variety of super middleweight champion. He's, do- he's WBA. Problem there is, like, the WBA doesn't matter at all, doesn't care at all that Canelo doesn't really... is weird. They just like having Canelo as their champion, so he's their super champion. And then, eh, boxing. There's a lot I love about boxing, but some of the stuff... Yeah, yeah, boxing. Anyway, um, that dude is a bad, bad man. Be on the lookout for him. He's very good. But the main event of that card, the aforementioned, again, uh, Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. Davis knocks out Garcia with a body shot in the seventh round. Um, Really good performance from Javante Davis. I gave Garcia the first round, which is a very... Neither guy did a lot. I just... um, I thought... Garcia did a little more, but very, very slow round. Both guys, neither guy is, um, despite fighting at 130, they were at 136 here, catch weight. Um, neither guy comes storming out of the gates. Uh, Davis, in particular, is a relatively low-activity boxer. Very accurate, but he's not hes not a 100 punches around kind of guy. He tends to throw only about 30. And that's very, again, that's low activity, but his accuracy and power make up for it and his general technique. 
So, slow first round. Um, I have to yell about the scoring here. <clears throat> See, in the second round, Garcia seems to be doing some pretty good work. Then he gets dropped hard by a left hand from Davis. Garcia gets up. They resume fighting. Now, in boxing, if you get knocked down, that's pretty much automatically a 10-8. In fact, it's a 10-8 by design. The guy who gets knocked down, if they do enough good work, can recover that point loss to only lose 10-8 instead of or 10-9 rather instead of 10-8. Two of the of the ringside judges thought that's what happened, then scored that round 10-9 for Davis. I don't agree with that. I still went 10-8. However, that's not the craziest scorecard. You can make an argument. You can absolutely defend the position that, yes, Garcia got the knockdown. Yes, he won the round. But, or sorry, yes, Davis got the knockdown. But Garcia did enough good work throughout the rest of the round to mitigate the 10-8 to only lose at 10-9. Again, not my read on it, but not the craziest thing. One of the judges, I believe it was Dave Moretti, scored that second round a 10-10 draw. How is this man licensed to drive a car, much less judge a professional boxing match? That's one of the most asinine, backwards, unbelievably, indefensibly bad scores for a boxing round you will ever see. This guy has been incompetent and or corrupt for a long time, and he's still there because boxing won't do anything about these kinds of things. Ever. Not that MMA is all that better, mind you, because Adelaide Bird is still out there judging fights. Sal D'Amato's still there. I mean, D'Amato's batting average is pretty... It ain't great, but he's turned in some defensible scores lately. It just, yeah. We had that series of really bad scorecards the other couple of weeks back that I'm still not over, but... You enshrine government bureaucracy into these positions, and I mentioned this at the time. I'll reinfer I'll say it again. You can convince a government bureaucracy to do something stupid. You absolutely can. But an entire governmental division will singularly drink bleach before it ever admits it was wrong. That's just, I don't know why they're this way. I can speculate, but I don't actually know. But that's my observation about it. So this old, incompetent and or corrupt buffoon... Decides this round was a 10-10. What utter crap. Like, you couldn't... I hope the, I hope the check clears, buddy. I really do, because that's the only explanation for that. Um, Garcia doesn't really ever recover from getting dropped. Like, his confidence gets shaken. He loses the next couple of rounds. I thought he took the sixth... Um, Davis really kind of, Garcia had kind of gotten his footing back in that round, started landing his right hand a little bit more. But seventh round, he's kind of trying to get back on the offense. He walks into a hellacious body shot. He drops, can't get up before the 10 count. Um, look, Garcia is a very popular fighter. And I want to be careful with what I'm about to say here. Because he has some tools. 
He's got good hand speed. He's got some power, especially for the weight class. He doesn't know how to fight long, which is a real problem. Like, he was probing with the jab early and then kind of stopped as soon as Davis started actually hand fighting and covering it. He just didn't have an answer for that. So he tried lunging in and started getting countered. Every time he starts throwing combinations, again, he's got fast hands. His chin comes up and his head is dead on the center line. I mean, dead on it. Watch him throw combinations in a fight. Head straight in the air. It's right there for the taking. A combination of his hand speed and general power has, and careful matchmaking, which doesn't mean bad matchmaking, mind you, but careful. I mean, he got dropped in his previous fight against a guy who retired after the loss. It was Luke, uh, was Luke Campbell. I'm going to assume... I'm going to say that, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, but he walked into a left hand in, like, the first round. His defense isn't there. Davis was better everywhere. The better ring... Better footwork. Better fight strategy. Better power. Better... Punch selection, better technique all the way around. Garcia was in over his head from the word go. His, he can, and I don't mean to say that this is the end of his career. It's not. But if he doesn't take the right lessons from this, it might be. Not in the sense that his confidence will be shattered, but... Gervonta Davis is a very, 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 very good boxer. But there's some of the stuff that he did here that's not terribly difficult to replicate. If Garcia doesn't address the holes that Davis showed here, then the next couple of guys are going to do very similar things to him. And maybe he still has enough pep in his step and whatnot to fight. He's young. Another thing about Garcia, young, there is plenty of time for him to address these issues. But your game got audited here, man. Tank Davis took you, took everything you do, and said, not up to standard. Here and here and here and here and here and here. You've been shown your weaknesses. Now you have to fix them. Because if you don't, this is going to go bad for you in a hurry. If you do fix it, again, he's very popular, he's young, he's got power, he's got hand speed. He could still go quite far. But you better learn the lessons from this loss, my man. Because if you don't, if you get stubborn, if you think, well, it was just that guy, or if you maybe had some injury or there was a rehydration clause in this fight. They weighed... Yeah, I think it was like 136, 137. I forget exactly. Forgive me. But they couldn't weigh... There was a, a second weigh-in the day of the fight. Not right before they came in, but at some point earlier in the day, you had to weigh like less than 145. Both men made it. But again, if somewhere in his head is, you know, the rehydration clause is what cost me or some injury... No. No. You lost because you were the because Tank Davis was the better boxer. Period. Learn the lesson, 
rebound, still could have a very long, prosperous career, but learn the right lesson. It's very important for him with whatever happens next, because if he doesn't, again, this could go real bad real fast. We've all seen it. We've all seen those young, talented guys who hit that first big roadblock and they never figure it out. I hope that doesn't happen to him. Um, it was a pretty good fight for what it was. Um, just as the biggest combat sports event of the week, I figure it deserved some discussion here, and I don't mind talking boxing on occasion. All right. But let's move on. So what do we got? We got UFC on ESPN plus 81 coming to you next week from the Apex in Las Vegas. Main event. Good main event. Song Yudong and Ricky Simone. We have two very good bantamweights here. Guys who have flirted with the upper echelon a little bit. Uh, Song come, has come up short a couple of times. Um... He only has uh, he only has two losses in the UFC, I think. Yeah, one to Kyler Phillips, it was a pretty wild fight, and then most recently the doctor stoppage loss to Corey Sandhagen. Corey Sandhagen cut him to ribbons to prompt the stoppage. But he's a very good fighter. He's got power, good counter wrestler, really strong hips. Uh, and Simone has an incredible motor. This guy hung in with the pace of Marab Dwellis really, if you'll recall. Uh, relentless wrestler. On a pretty good winning streak. Uh, just handed Jack Shore, what, his first loss ever? Yeah. Uh, that was July of last year. Uh, this is a pretty good fight. I'm going to lean towards Song in the following sense. I think this winds up looking a little bit like Simone's loss to Uriah Faber. Um, Simone's takedowns are they're strong, and he's relentless. But Song is pretty darn good about down blocking. He's got, again, very strong hips. And I think he catches Simone in the striking before Simone's wrestling potentially overwhelms him. Just my hunch, but it's a really good fight. Could absolutely go either way. Uh, middleweight, middleweight co-main event, Mikhail Oleksajic and Kyo Bahalio. Um, probably Oleksajic here. I mean, Oleksajic is pretty good. He's had ups and downs, but on the whole, he's pretty good. Um, and that's not to knock Bahalio, but I'm, I'm going with Oleksajic. Was he supposed to be somebody else? I mean, this poor, like, this card was supposed to be headlined by Armin Saryukian and Hanato Moikano, which is a great fight. But that fell apart. Um, Moikano had an injury, which really sucks. It, it downgraded this card in overall quality to lose that fight. Um, anyway, next up, Adolfo Vieira and Cody Brundage. Mr. Brundage. Up and down in the UFC, losses to Nick Maximov and Mikhail Oleksajuk, wins over Dalcha and Trishan Gore. I think this is Vieira. Um, I mean, Vieira's got to sort out his takedown game. But, yeah, I'll go with Vieira. Why not? 
Uh, Strawweight, Emily Ducati and Pollyanna Viana. Um, Ducati had that lost to Angela Hill. I think this is Viana. I mean, Viana's hanging. She's definitely had her major ups and downs, but... Uh, she stopped Jin Yu Fry in that last fight out. That was a heck of a stoppage. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards Viana. Not sold, but I'm going to lean. Heavyweight, Marcos Rogerio de Lima against Waldo Cortez Acosta. Okay. Um, de Lima, he beat Andre Arlovsky last time out, which... Finishing Arlovsky is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, the UFC likes Cortez Acosta. I think they're still giving him very favorable matchups, and this is probably still one of those. Um, this is probably a little bit... This is not... This is kind of the... T how many... Is this Acosta's third fight in the UFC? I want to say it's his third. If not, it's his second. Let me double-check this. Um... Yeah, 2 and 0, so it's his third fight in the UFC. This might be the time. I, I told you, I've said this publicly, like, the UFC will give you three. We'll give you, like, three or. But by the time you get to, like, your third or fourth fight, that's usually when they stop with the kid gloves. When they stop giving you favorable matches. I mean, his UFC debut, his first two fights in the UFC were Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. Both guys with pretty serious losing records in the UFC. Rogerio uh, um, de Lima has a winning UFC record, I believe. Certainly a winning heavyweight record. So, this might be the time when we find out what Cortez Acosta's really got. Um, that's tough. I think I am number three, man. It is the third time. Who's beaten Delima lately? Ivanov. Romanov had that weird forearm choke over him, but... <sighs> yeah, actually, I am going to go Delima, and I'm prepared to be very wrong about that with... Uh, it... The next, I will probably pick against Cortez Acosta the next time, no matter what, almost. But here, I, I think it's close. This is actually a lot closer than you might think. But I am going to lean towards DeLima, just a hair. Uh, at welterweight, Josh Quinlan and Angelosa. Here at these two gentlemen. Uh, did this change? Yeah, uh, Angelosa has withdrawn from that. This is no. This is now um, Josh Quinlan and Trey Waters. Might have been dropped on the card because of that. Um, anywho, I might have picked Losa, but I I have no problem picking Quinlan here. Um, had a pretty good UFC debut, and against a guy on short notice. I mean. Uh, what do you have with Trey Waters here? Yeah, this is UFC debut. Uh, he lost his contender series fight. Yeah, Quinlan. That's uh, fairly easy call. Uh, let's see. On the prelims, we have Martin Bidet and Jake Collier. 
Um, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, take a little look at the day. Who has, I believe, 0 and 2 and 0 and 1 in the UFC, or is he 1 and 1? 2 and 0. Who am I confusing him with? I don't know who I'm confusing with. Um, he has wins over Chris Barnett and Lucas Breschke. That's not how you pronounce that. Um, that is not how you pronounce his last name, but I can't remember how to pronounce it, so forgive me. Um, technical decision and then a split. Um, you know what? Actually, I'm going to go with Bidet here. I don't dislike Collier, but he has been very uninspired at heavyweight. Uh, let's see. Julian Arosa and Fernando Padilla. Uh, Mr. Arosa. Oh, that loss to Caceres was bad. Had a pretty good winning streak going before that, though. Um, what has Mr. Padilla done lately? Where are you? He is 14-4. Where's he debut? Why do I know his name? Hmm. I, I, I'm okay picking a Rosa here. Um, yeah, picking a Rosa. But, you know, Padilla might surprise a few people. Let's see, uh, Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez. I feel like this is Levy. Um, Rodriguez is 5-1. and 1-1 one. One one in the UFC. Jack Della Maddalena smoked him. Smokes most people. His win was over Mike Jackson. Like, come on. Uh, Levy is eight and one. He's two and one in the UFC. Yeah, I'm picking Levy. Might be wrong, but I'm picking Levy. I don't have a lot of. Might be unfair to judge Pete Rodriguez on the fact that his only UFC win is over Mike Jackson, but I'm going to. <laughs> uh, let's see next. Cody Durden and Charles Johnson. Mr. Durden. One, two in a row. Um, UFC record of three, two, and one. But his opponent... Dude, Charles Johnson's been on a pretty decent run. I mean, I... I thought Jalga Zumagulov beat him. Um, I think Oday Osborne beat him. I, that was a close one. Like that, I I don't think I objected to either guy winning that one. Um, I think it's Johnson. I think I'm picking Johnson there. Um, wait a minute. This Johnson's first trip down to flyweight. Ooh, that might change things. That might change things. I'm still going to lean towards Johnson, but this being his flyweight, first flyweight trip in a while, if ever, like that, that does change things a little bit. Um, that's a lot closer. It's a lot closer. Uh, women's bantamweight, Stephanie Egger and Irina Alexiva. Um, Egger, 
Swiss, Judo up and down a little bit. Lost to Tracy Cortez and My um, Myra Buena Silva. Wins over Shanna Young, just goes Clark, Eileen Perez. Uh, Alex Siva, this is her UFC debut, I believe. Her nickname is the Russian Ronda. Oi. You need to fix that, lady. That's uh, that's not a great nickname. Um, it's her UFC debut. I think that's Egger, but um, would not be the first time someone like Alexiva came in and turned some heads, so keep that in mind. Uh, let's see. Brian Kelleher, Bantamweight. Brian Boom Kelleher and Journey Newsom. Uh, I like Kelleher. Lost his last two. I mean, Umar Nurmagomedov. Sure, because Umar's really good. Then Mario Bautista, another pretty good fighter. Uh, Newsom, he's had some rough breaks in the UFC, but he's shown flashes of talent. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, Kelleher, but um, if Newsom's able to put it all together, he might do something here. And women's bantamweights kick us off with Haley Cowan and Jamie Lynn Horth. They've been trying forever to get Cowan in the cage. <laughs> um, yeah, she's had a couple couple uh, fights fall through. Uh, they seem to like her coming off the Contender Series. Fourth is undefeated. Also been trying to make a UFC debut for a bit. Uh, had a fight with Sabina Mazo canceled last year. Again, I, I think the UFC wants Cowan to turn into something. Uh, so they might be, again, they're careful matchmaking here. So I'm going to lean towards Cowan, but again, we're talking about a 7-2 and two versus 5-0. and oh, So who the heck knows? But that is the fight event as it currently stands. I will be covering that, of course, Saturday in the MMAZona411mania.com. So if you're so inclined, please do stop by and say hello. I always appreciate it. All right, let's talk some fight announcements because that was kind of the big news of the week. So you, um, UFC 288 got bolstered with a welterweight, one would assume, title eliminator fight between Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns. Uh, that, again, it, it bolsters 288, which is headlined by uh, Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. Muhammad and Burns will serve as your co-main. That, that card needed this fight. Um, again, that was supposed to have on it uh, Oliveira and Daryush before Oliveira had the injury and they had to reschedule. Um, it needed a strong co-main event, and Muhammad and Burns does qualify, so... They're still really hoping that nothing, and that's five rounds, apparently, because both fighters want it, so fair play to them. Um, also makes it real easy to try and keep the time if something happens to Sterling or Cejudo. Um, but if something happens to Sterling or Cejudo, that whole event, like, your, your reason to pay for that goes away, basically, so. 
They are hoping that nothing bad happens there. That's not the strongest pay-per-view in the world, but Sterling and Sudo is good, and Muhammad and Burns is a solid co-main event. The rest of it's pretty weak. The rest of it is... Yeah, Andrade and, Yo- and Yan Shonan is not the worst. And Floyd Mitchell's pretty fun. Again, like, if... If something happens to that main event and the rest of that is like an ESPN card, that's a great fight night. It's a fairly weak pay-per-view, but that's where we are in 288. Um, Speaking of the numbered events, UFC 289 uh, got a little bit, again, it got bolstered. Uh, That's headlined by Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. No one's asking for that. Um... This event is in the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's the first time the UFC's been to Canada in a while. Um, yeah, they haven't been to Canada since um, September of 2019. Uh, that was uh, Cowboy and Gagey. And then, you know, stuff happened. Um the event sold out, so Canada was desperate for a UFC event, and fair play, but it's not a great main event. It's fine. It's not great. Um, co-main event, again, Oliveira and Daryush. Darn good fight. Rest of that card looking pretty weak. I talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, the rest of that card looking pretty weak. Um, the UFC... On ESPN 46 has its presumptive main event in the form of Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. Really good middleweight fight. Those two are going to run into each other a lot. That'll be fun. Uh, UFC on ABC 5 has its main event as well. Josh Emmett and Ilya Teporia. Heck yes. Um, they've been talking about that one for a while. Finally made it official. Darn good fight. Darn good main event for an ABC card. Uh, looking forward to that one. Um, I don't really care about that fight. Sorry, I have one listed, but I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, UFC 290 received a couple of fights. <clears throat> um, UFC 290 is actually shaping up to be a pretty darn good pay-per-view. You have two title fights. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez for featherweight gold. Then Brandon Moreno and Alexandre Pantoja for flyweight. Uh, the rest of the main card, I would assume, uh, Robert Whitaker and Drakus Duplessis, which is the fight that was announced. Um, winner, of the, winner gets a shot at Israel Adesanya, no surprise. Uh, I, liked, I liked EDP. Um... I got a soft spot for the guy's fighting style and whatnot, and the fact that so many people kind of expose their own racism when he makes noise about being a big African guy, because he is, and the number of people just went, yeah, but South Africa's racist. I'm not saying South Africa is not a racist place. I'm saying he's African. And if your conception of Africans only limits you to sub-Saharan Africans, that's on you. The entire Northern African experience is different. Those people from Egypt are Africans. People from Morocco are Africans. People from Libya are Africans. People from South Africa are Africans. 
Charlize Theron, African. She's from South Africa. Dricus Duplessis, African. If you don't like that, because it conflicts with your perception of reality, that says more about you than anything else, doesn't it? Um, so, but people, again, the, the people exposing their inherent bias and occasional racism because he's like, yeah, I want to be the first, you know, African champion to bring the belt to Africa and keep it here. He's not wrong. You know, um, Francis Ngannou first, I believe Ngannou would have been the first African-born champion to double check because a couple of these are weird. Like Adesanya, did Adesanya get gold before Ngannou? He might have. So Adesanya might have been the first African-born champion. Um, was Usman born in Nigeria and then raised here or born here and raised in Nigeria? I can't remember. One of those two for him, but like, look, being connected with that side of your heritage and culture is a fine thing. It's an admirable thing, and I'm not knocking anybody for it, but that's kind of all Duplessis is doing. <laughs> you know, and look, if he comes out and says racist stuff, I am more than willing to say the guy's a racist. But at the moment, if he's just, no, I want to be the first African champion to, you know, train out of Africa when I win. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> Africa's an enormous continent. Uh, but I, like, again, I got a soft spot for him, but I don't pick too many people to be Robert Whitaker. Bobby Knuckles gets work done. Um, also on that card, again, Jalen Turner and Dan Hooker, solid fight. Robbie Lawler and Nico Price, that'll be bonkers. Um, Davison Figueredo, Manel Cop, Sean Brady, and Jack Della Maddalena. Like, 290, that whole event is shaping up to be really strong. So, uh, very much happy about that. Okay, that's kind of everything I've got here, so let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy in the MMA sphere is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alright, nope. Um, let me see, so plugs, what do we got? Last week was a review of Renfield, the uh, Nicholas Holt and Nick Cage movie. It was myself, Alexis Haina, Jason Teasley, and Dorian Price. This week will be a review of Evil Dead Rise. That will be myself, Mark, Jason, and Dorian. Four of us. And we will talk about that. I will see it before I review it. I have not yet seen it, but if you're interested in my thoughts beyond MMA, give that a listen. Uh, we talk movies. We talk the business of movies. We talk how critics are bad at their jobs. So, Damn You Hollywood is a fun, pretty much weekly podcast talking about movies or... Usually movies. Occasionally we do more than one, but depends. So, Evil Dead Rise on the agenda this week for that. I am looking forward to it quite a bit. I love a good horror movie, and I am not squeamish. So, as for my other stuff, the usual spate of professional wrestling and mixed martial arts coverage. That's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, and the UFC event this coming Saturday. So, if you're interested in any and all of that, those are in the respective zones of 411mania.com. Give them a read. Thank you very, very much, as always. All right, that's it for me. Thank you. Uh, thank you all very much. It's been a rough, uh, been a rough month. Some of which I choose not to talk about because it affects things other than me. But uh, yeah, we had to put our dog of 11 years down. Saturday. That's why I was late to coverage for anyone who cares. Uh, she was 15. 
and we had it for 11 of those years. Um, that sucks. And some stuff from my, you know, I had some extended family stuff that hit this same month, so it just kind of sucked. And being able to engage in a degree of regimented regularity, uh, get on this podcast and talk about MMA or the occasional other stuff that crosses my mind, uh, it's uh, it's been therapeutic in some respects. And thank you all very much for listening. Uh, I know you don't have to. I know there's a lot of choices you can make in this space. And thank you for choosing mine. All right. We will be back here next week. Thank you as always. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.